Hey, if you like a little secret, come in here a bit. If you're interested in moving from residential to commercial, I got a great guest lined up for you here today. You are going to love this episode. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So having myself a wonderful day, and I sure hope you're having yourself one too. Just finished a wonderful podcast with my uh, guest that I'm going to introduce you to here very shortly, and it was awesome. We just, uh, we went deep, we nerded out, we geeked out, we went into probably way too many details, uh, we, we shared way too many things, we had lots of laughs, lots of fire going, dropping bombs, man, we had a lot of fun. And uh, I had an entire kind of an intro plan that I was going to deliver this and talking about normalizing your real estate experience. I've had some uh, conversations with some of my clients and some people just recently about people just dismissing a little bit about what they know, you know, feeling, you know, and here's the thing, what I was about, what I'm about to say. Um, I was going to put it and tack it into the beginning of this episode, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it together and put it into an standalone episode all on its own. And I'm going to share that wonderful resource uh, with you of doing it. It's going to be a podcast episode of its own. We're going to share a little bit of fire with you. And it's just talking about um, not dismissing and diminishing and normalizing what you do in real estate. I've got a few things I want to say on that. Uh, and I'm going to keep this intro tight. And I truly am going to keep this one tight is because we did go, I think Tim and I went for probably about an hour and a half and we probably could have went for probably another four and a half because it's such a deep topic and a wonderful conversation. So if you're interested in getting potentially better cash flow, if you're interested in getting involved in an asset that has better landlord and tenant rules, there, as a matter of fact, there is no landlord and tenant rules other than contract law. If you're interested in having the tenants and having lots of margin where the tenants can actually pay you a management fee, if you're interested in having... Um, all the utilities in the tenant's name, and they have to cover that, and all the tenant improvements, you might want to check out uh, commercial financing. Now, understand that everything isn't always as bright and rosy, and that's what Tim and I did. We shared the good, the bad, and the ugly, but holy moly, there's a lot of wonderful opportunities in the realm of commercial, uh, commercial financing, commercial real estate, and I think I, I, I coined a new term of a commercial type of property of something that Tim buys, and I think I call it the mullet of uh of commercial real estate. So you have to listen to the episode to hear all about that. Okay, gang. So with this one, um, have a great honor of introducing you, Tim Blake. Tim is a commercial real estate investor. He's also a realtor up in the Grand Prairie, Alberta market. He shares a little bit of his backstory about how he got started when he was like 18 years old and, you know, how long he's been in this business. He's a veteran. He's, he's, he's one of us. All right. He, he is, he's an expert. He walks his talk. He knows what he's talking about. And in times of challenging markets, in times of turbulent markets, in times of changing markets. What you need to do is you need to listen to the people that have been through it. You need to listen to the people that have seen the ups, that have rode the downs, that have are still standing. You know, the old Elton John, you know, I'm still standing song, Elton John song. I'm still standing after all these challenges and after all these troubles. Uh, make sure you seek out 
wisdom. Make sure you seek out expertise, people who have been doing this business for 10, minimum 10, I say probably 15 to 20 plus years. And I even consider myself, I'm 20 plus years in doing this. I still seek out people that have experience in the 30s and 40 years experience because I want to learn and I want to listen to the people that have been through all market conditions. I don't want to just listen to people that have gone to a seminar and have heard a new strategy and they're now out sharing all the information that they've had about that and they're, you know, the expert in it. I want to hear from people that have been through the ups, the downs, the sideways, and most importantly, like I said before, the downs right? I need to understand what it takes to succeed in this game long-term. And that's one of the things I would say Tim is. He's a young fella and um, he has had a lot of experience and he's been through it all. And he is truly an expert at what he's talking about. And you're going to just love this episode. So I know I said I'd keep this one short, but I will. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get after it. Hey, Tim Blake, how are you doing? Welcome to the show today, my friend. What's going on up in Grand Prairie today? Yeah, it's actually really busy up here in Grand Prairie. Things are things are definitely humming, and I'm looking forward to to talking to you. I've uh, followed your show and different uh, of your teachings in the past, so I'm definitely excited to give back a little bit. Well, we're going to dive headfirst into the whole wonderful world of commercial real estate. But before we do get into it, I always like to start off with a little bit, maybe icebreaker and a little bit of uh, get to know the person and stuff. So, but before, so your name's Tim Blake. Now, I, now, this may sound like a really obscure question, but I have a feeling you may have heard this reference. Are you familiar with the Key and Peel Comedy Central substitute teacher skit uh, that you have? You have you ever seen that? I actually haven't. Okay. No, I haven't seen that one. So I'm going to leave that for homework for you to, to look up. Um, it's very funny. And it has to do with uh, the word, with Blake, with the name Blake, right? So yeah. okay. I'm going to leave that for you for some homework. It's the Key and Peel Comedy Central Substitute Teacher Skit. Okay. And if any of you are listening, okay, anyone I'll, else is listening I'll to check this, that out. I want you to check that out. <laughs> okay. All right. Before we get to know you a little bit deeper, uh, Tim, you're in commercial real estate and you're up in Grand Prairie. For somebody listening to this, where, what the heck is a Grand Prairie? <laughs> Grand Prairie, we're, uh, we're about four and a half hours north of Edmonton. And uh, we, we got a, about 70,000 people here. And we're, we're definitely an oil and gas town. We've got some other industries as well, but uh, oil and gas is kind of our bread and butter. And uh, we uh, we go through the, the the swings as well, and uh, but right now we're definitely on an upswing. Things are busy here, and uh, biggest problem people are having is getting staff up here and and uh, and going. Well, I know the joke a lot of people might be saying right now is, uh, "What? There's nothing north of Edmonton. Edmonton is already north. Like if you look on a map, and Edmonton is the furthest north that you ever want to go anyway. So I mean, they say there's life <laughs> north of Edmonton." Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, when, when we first came uh, up here, we, we lived down in Calgary originally and we went up, uh, my dad got transferred up to uh, this area and they kept on flipping the map over and over in old school when there was maps back then and to try and find where we were getting sent to up in Grand Prairie. Yeah. So, so things are cooking up in the, uh, up in Grand Prairie again, which is, which is really nice to see. And maybe, maybe we'll get into that a little bit more 
later on in the show, or or maybe we'll book another time because um, I'm, I'm very interested and I know a lot of my audience is very interested in what's going on in, in Alberta, what's going on there, uh, what's going on there economically. And what did we just see recently? Did I hope you saw that too. What was the, the four, uh, almost a $4 billion budget surplus that the, the government that was delivered this just past, just recently? Yeah, yeah, big big news because I mean, with with oil and gas, the the way it's priced, the the government's getting a lot of off royalties now. Where when it's low, they hardly make anything. So with the uh, high oil and gas, it's definitely helping the Alberta government uh, get their finances in order. And uh, it's yeah, it's just positive for for everybody in our province here. Just yeah. when, when things are going that direction. Well, it's 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 really it's nice to see you know. Guys, so it's an anomaly in Canada that a government will deliver a balanced budget, let alone deliver a surplus. And I believe the number that they're basing the balanced budget for the next year on is only a $70 barrel of oil. And so things are looking looking positive. And, and you know, we can argue till the cows come home if this is good or bad or whatever. Um, a good, healthy energy economy in Canada, in Alberta, is good for Canada. You know, Alberta delivering that big surplus of a budget is actually good for transfer payments, which is good for healthcare, which is good for um, social programs, which is good for universities in Ontario, universities in, in, in Quebec. So a good, healthy Alberta is good for Canada. Would you agree, Tim? I agree 100% for sure. So and, now uh, we can get more off pipelines, we can be more prosperous. <laughs> Well, yeah, we could we could go on and on about that, couldn't we? If, if so, Tim, if we only knew a country or even a government that actually owned a pipeline, right? If we only knew that that government, eh? I mean, only exactly. All right. Well, we could talk energy and oil and gas till uh, the cows came home, Tim. But but. Um, we're going to talk commercial real estate here today, and this will be the first time I've really introduced this topic to my podcast and my audience. But what I, before we do jump into that, um, do you mind if you do a little quick introduction of yourself, maybe a little bit of your backstory, uh, what you've done, what you've done within the context of real estate, um, what has led you up to this point of being this powerhouse commercial real estate expert? I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll give you a little bit of a history here. Well, you're, you're a humble so, Canadian uh, to start with, right? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I started in real estate really young. I started, actually bought my first house at, at 18 and then bought my second house at 19 and just kind of started building just residential uh, from the start. And for a long time, it was just kind of a side business. I'd buy a few houses a year and, and do the odd flip here and there. And it was kind of a side business as I had different careers, but mostly in, in sales. I'd, I'd done some sales with John Deere and did some modular home sales eventually. And, and sales was kind of my main job and real estate was always my passion and my side business. And probably about uh, seven years ago, I made it my full-time uh, business. So I kind of became a full-time real estate investor. I actually got my realtor license so I could uh, get access to deals and save commissions and and just have the, the ins and outs fit. But I, I wasn't your typical realtor. I mean, I didn't... Uh, sell people's houses or work with buyers. I basically was just using it to be a, an insider because in, in real estate, we're allowed to be inside traders. In, in stock market, you get in trouble for that. But in real estate, uh, you can trade on inside information and, and you get access to stuff before anybody else does. So that's that's a big reason why I put myself in that position. And uh, and then I, I you know gravitated towards commercial real estate at kind of around that time. And uh, and that's kind of my focus today is, yeah, in, in investing in commercial real estate, 
and uh, inviting partners to join me. And I do a little bit of commercial realtor work as well, but I do, don't really do any on the residential side. So what do you what do you typically own right now in your portfolio uh, within commercial properties? So kind of, I, I, have a, I have a bit of a mix. So I, I have uh, kind of my bread and butter stuff would be like uh, multi-base shops. So I'd have like, say, say like a 15,000 square foot shop, you know, split into you know, four or five different bays, different tenants. And, uh, you know, a little bit of office in front, shop in the back, kind of my cookie cutter um, deal. I mean, I have some other stuff, just some standalone shops and kind of light industrial around Grand Prairie area. And uh, that's kind of my kind of my sweet spot. I have some office stuff as well. I, I'm I'm kind of a I, I, I search for a good deal if the, if the numbers work and I can add value to it. And uh, um, that's kind of I, I I will branch out a little bit and 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 grab opportunities that come 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 in front of me. Nice. So your bread and butter, pardon the pun I'm going to use here, it's almost like the mullet of uh, of commercial real estate is office in the front, shop in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, hang on, yeah. hang on, hang on. I gotta, we gotta get a little bit of a. Hang on, hang on. A there we go. I think I want to write that one down. Actually, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, no, that's. Uh, I, I love it. I absolutely love. It. So, so. Um, okay, so we're definitely gonna dive into to commercials. So, if somebody was sitting here and treat me like I'm really uh, green and I know nothing about this, so if somebody was coming to you and maybe the first, most people probably are familiar with residential. They've bought their own property. They've qualified for a mortgage. Commercial is a little bit of a completely, you know, what did I hear the the terminology is. Um, Everything is different in commercial, right? <laughs> almost Absolutely. everything. It's still yeah. it's still a property, and you still rent it, and it's it's a business. But almost everything is a little bit different. So why don't we start the conversation here with what are some of the differences between commercial? No, I'm gonna sorry, I'm gonna ask a better question. First of all, let's define commercial in your eyes, and then we'll talk about some of the differences. So what is a commercial real estate typically? Yeah. So, and, and that's very broad what commercial is, but I guess when, when I'm talking about it for what I invest in, typically it'd be like um, offices, shops, retail, kind of your, your, you have a, your tenant is a, is a company and uh, triple net leases typically. And, and what a triple net lease is, is basically the tenant looks after all the expenses, property tax, insurance, snow removal kind of thing. So you basically just rent out uh, the space and they look after all the expenses. So, um, you know, unlike residential, where the landlord will pay for all that stuff, typically the tenant would pick up the cost on on a lot of that stuff as it comes up. Okay, so so commercial can be is a very big giant bucket. First of all, isn't it? It's typically it's. So would it be safe to say commercial would be anything outside of that doesn't house people's residences? Would that be as a, a starting point to to start with? Yeah, no, that'd be a that'd be a fair statement for sure. Okay. I mean, uh, and a lot of people do also, you know, put multifamily in that commercial bucket. I mean, for for what I, okay, in my conversation, I, I guess I'm more referring to yeah, the shops, offices, retail, that type of thing. Yeah. Now, yeah, and and typically within the residential world, I believe here, here's what the terminology sometimes comes down to is how the banks look at it. Really is really what bucket they put it into more is, oh, well, that's a commercial mortgage. So then people say, well, it's a commercial piece of real estate typically, but it, it's a good way of, it's it's one way of looking at it. Uh, but your niche is really specific within um, renting to businesses and having the businesses pick up the majority of the tab of all the expenses. And then you're just the owner of the, of the, of the rental property in essence. 
Yeah, okay. correct. That's 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 a lot of it, and that's uh, one of the things that attracted me to the commercial investment versus residential. Because I, I I have done a lot of residential rentals. I still hold a fair number. I just don't actively acquire more right now. Yeah. So um, yeah, I guess the 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 ease of um, your management is one of the things that attract me to it. Also, um, scalability, like larger larger numbers. I mean, you know, to buy say a two million dollar shop, you have to buy a lot of houses to kind of get that same same uh, dollars out into the market and, and same returns. And uh, so that's a yeah, kind of the couple couple things attracted me to it as well as cash flow. Cash flow is you know if done properly, substantially better in in commercial than than residential. Okay. So how 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 is the commercial market right now? Now I know you're you're more of an expert in just your local market, as all real estate is is hyper local. By the way, everybody. Um, but ever I think commercial has been getting a bad rap over the last couple of years and everybody's saying commercial's dead and all this kind of stuff. So from your perspective, as somebody who's in this every day, um, what is kind of the state of the commercial market? And also are there sectors within it that are really on fire and what, where are you putting your money right now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, for sure. Um, commercial's definitely been beat up last uh, couple of years with, with COVID. But uh, like you said, very, very, um, every market, it has sub markets and, and within that. So I guess I'll speak to my market specifically. Um, so certain parts of it have been beat up more than others. So for example, retail, they've been forced to shut down through COVID and even offices has been, been beat up a fair bit more. Um, whereas like the, you know, shops and that stuff, yes, it still got a hit when, when oil prices went negative and, and things were, were really slow in 2020, but, uh, say right now, I mean, small, small shop offices, the, the, uh, the, uh, party in the, in the back reference there, they're, they're pretty popular right now. There's, there's like a lot of those guys are, are very busy right now and, and, uh, it's heading the right direction. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's crazy busy, but it's, it's, we're heading the right direction. Things are, things are steady for sure. Nice, nice. And I would imagine um, warehousing uh, would be something that's probably doing quite well too, is everybody needs their Amazon shipments and Amazon needs the, and everybody has to have their consolidation of all their goods and things. If people aren't going to the store, but they still need their goods and services to them, sometimes they have to house those things in the warehousing as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the sector, if you're looking on whole sector, yeah, that's definitely... Uh, warehousing and industrial in general has fared better through through the COVID than uh, retail and office. Yep. And I mean, even even now, I mean, we're I, I hope we're through COVID now, but uh, still, I mean, those are definitely the the hotter sectors or the the shops and warehousing as opposed to um, offices. Offices is still a little more challenging in a lot of markets and Grand Prairie as well. Yeah, and I, I imagine everybody is well. Offices, most people have got you know the work from home has been a huge dent into the office space as well. Um, you know, we're sitting having this conversation. You're up in Grand Prairie. I'm out in Vancouver, and we're having this wonderful conversation over Zoom and uh, online. And, you know, it's, you know, I'd much rather be in person with you and shake your hand and have a Tim Hortons. But but at the same time, you know, this is, this is a game changer of technology of us having this conversation. And that changed the way people have worked and done business. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, definitely more of this going on. And I mean, um, again, I'd always prefer to have an in-person, but uh, yeah, this, this is a substitute that really wasn't available. I know even a few years back was very uncommon. It it was forced into more use with COVID 
Yep. So, so what is uh, really is it, is it is it just oil and gas that's really driving Grand Prairie right now again? Like it was it was you know probably about you know fifteen years ago Grand Prairie was like ranked like number two place to invest and it went extremely growth was just through the roof. And is that the primary thing that's happening up there? Is there a little bit of uh, divesting from just oil and gas into exploration of other energy sources? Like what is kind of the the pillars that are growing out that way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure, oil and, and gas specific, we're, we're definitely a big gas town. So that's, that's big, but we do have other, other industries as well. Um, we have uh, forestries is pretty big up here. And, uh, and we are also like, we're kind of a regional hub. So we have, we have a lot more big box stores, for example, than, you know, a typical 70,000 person city would have because we, we do draw about a, a 300,000 people trading area because we, you know, draw a lot of the rural in from, you know, Peace River and, and north from there. A lot of people come here to shop, even even into BC, you know, people from Fort St. John and Dawson, this is their, their shopping destination to hit Costco and things like that. So we do, do get a lot of um, that support. And, uh, and then there's, there's other, there's big, some big, like, uh, uh, petrochemical plants in the works right now up here to, you know, big, big numbers. And we just finally finished our hospital that took like over a decade to build. So that's a, a big, you know, health hub. So there is, there is definitely some diversity here and we did actually fare the, the last downturn better than a lot of other places, but I mean, we're, we definitely still have that that boom town. Like when things boom here, we boom hard, and 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 we do often have a, a pretty big uh, uh, fall as well. So there's definitely a, a, a bit more roller coaster to it. But I mean, I don't mind that because I mean I, I like to pick up properties when they're on sale and and kind of you know prepare to weather those storms. And we do get really good cash flow up here compared to well any other market that I know of. We get we get better cash flow, so um, you can definitely you know put aside some, some in the good times for the, for the tougher times. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just asked that question a little bit, not selfishly, but I, I own some properties up in Peace River, um, which is just a little bit more north of there even. And uh, it's amazing on something that's only about an hour and a half away, how Peace River is just extremely slow and dead compared to when, when, when Shell closed and mothballed their project up there, um, you know, the one horse town really kind of, uh, it left a few horse apples for everybody around there. And our rents dropped 300 bucks. We had, you know, it's guys, it's, it's not always sunshine and roses. In some cases, things you need to weather the storm. And sometimes the storm can last years, if not decades as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So commercial, commercial real estate. Um, so from your perspective and obviously you're, uh, you know, you know, biased because then thank and good and rightfully so because that's where you have your money in and you're an expert on it what are the pros and what are the cons of commercial real estate like what are some of the benefits of of putting your capital into commercial properties yeah for sure yeah i'll just take you through my my thought process when i kind of switched my focus to that um again we kind of mentioned before uh cash flow the cash flow is is you know substantially better in in commercial i mean residential you're you're pretty hard pressed to find cash flow really anywhere. Um, and in commercial, it's, 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 it's very good if you, if you buy it right and manage it right in the whole thing, but, uh, it can be very good. And then, like I mentioned before about the triple net leases. So that basically means, like you said, we're, you're basically downloading that cost to your tenants versus to you. So if the property taxes, insurance, I mean, if the, if the toilet breaks, the tenant doesn't call you and, and, and you go call plumber, you say, 
they, they, they would call a plumber and pay for it directly and you would, would sometimes not even know what happened kind of thing. So uh, definitely a lot uh, less involved. Once you get a good lease in place, you're, you're not as involved in the, in the property management. Um, but it, it, so that's, that's kind of some of the, the, the positives of it. I mean, also you can, you can just like in a, in an apartment building, you can force appreciation. If you buy it well with rents under, you can do the same thing. If you buy a, a building with rents below market or even vacant, and you can kind of get a tenant in place there or get the rents up to where they should be. You can very quickly add equity, um, get the value of it up and, uh, and, you know, you know, up, get get the uh, all the benefits that go, come with that with other financing and, and and good returns for yourself and your investors as well yeah so so obviously uh, you know it i often ask the question well it sounds so wonderful it's just like why isn't everybody investing in commercial which maybe some people should have more commercial in their portfolio i have some of my coaching clients that have pivoted over to commercial um they started it off as they had a family business and they needed to host their family business in a property and they go well instead of paying rent to somebody else's thing well let's just go buy the building and we'll host our family wellness center in that business and they go man i just we just love this and then they have extra space and they rent it to other people and now they're looking at other yep. properties and and stuff like that so so what are some of the downsides uh, if somebody was to yeah. to for commercial yeah for sure so i mean one one big downside I mean, right off the bat i mean is a higher higher cost per entry i mean you can't buy a you know most commercial, I mean, yeah, you can buy little condos that start in the, you know, $500,000 range, but, you know, get something of, of any kind of scale, you're, you know, one and a half, you know, plus million dollars to, to get started. So um, the entry point is definitely a higher cost. Um, also, there there's a, there's a lot more vacancy risk. So you, you, I wouldn't, you probably have a similar vacancy in residential or commercial. It's just the, the timing can last much longer. So if somebody was to buy, say, one building, um, and then they have a vacancy. I mean, that could sit for a year plus vacant and you're, you're paying all those property tax, mortgage, everything in, in place where residential, typically you can just, you know, lower your rent a little more, you'll get it filled. Not really the case in commercials. It's got to be just the right fit for somebody. So your vacancies can be much, much longer, but on the flip side, I mean, you also can have tenants in there for 15, 20 years. Um, so I guess my, my answer to, I guess, um, mitigate that risk is I, I don't like to have a pro like just one property. I would want to have several properties or at least a, one building with several units in it. So you can kind of mitigate that vacancy risk. So if you have you know five units within it, one's vacant, it's not ideal, but you're still going to be, be okay because the other ones are carrying it. Um, as opposed to having one big building and it goes dark on you, you can, you can definitely be, be in trouble on that. So that'd be one of the, one of the big downsides. Yeah. And I would imagine there's probably the supply, there's not as much of these units, or, or should I, let me phrase it as a question. How is the supply of these kind of properties for somebody if they are looking at it? I would imagine it's not as prevalent or not as many as residential. Like, is there is there a supply problem or is there lots of things on the market? Like, how does that look? Yeah, no, I mean, again, every market's going to cycle differently, but I mean, yeah, it's very, very hard to find a property that, that works, uh, you know, for, for a decent price for, you know, for a decent property for cash flow. So that's a lot of what I do is I just search for those properties. And again, a big reason why I have my real estate licenses so I can get those deals before they get out to the public. Um, a lot of, a lot of commercial real estate does trade without ever going on to any kind of a realtor.ca. So a lot of it is kind of, you know, internal dealings and that. So there's, there's a lot of that. And, uh, 
And yeah, the biggest, a lot of my time is spent just trying to find opportunities because yeah, they are, they are hard to find. If you were just to go on the MLS right now, I mean, you probably wouldn't find one that, that will cash flow to where it needs to be because uh, it's tough to find for sure. Okay. Well, so I, I know the answer. I'm going to answer the question, but then I'm also going to ask a question if you can d- d- deliver and go deeper into this. The, the answer to my question I'm about to ask is how do you locate and source these properties? The, the right answer is you find a good quality, qualified, competent realtor to be able to go do this work for you. Right. So that's the answer. But if you were to, to, to deepen that, Tim, like how does somebody go out and search these? You know, like obviously they're going to work with a good realtor, but how, how, or, or is it just that as simple as go find a realtor and let that realtor just go do the digging? Yeah. I mean, it would, it'd be a bit of that as well. I mean, yeah, a, a realtor and I guess the, the one thing for sure to make sure you work with a realtor who is, is a commercial realtor and is active in that space. Because I mean, most realtors do have their commercial license, so they are allowed to trade in real estate in commercial real estate, but they they don't on a regular basis. So they they they're not they're not plugged in, and, and a lot of times don't know what what a property a good deal even looks like. So make sure if you're gonna you know want to get in the space, work with somebody who primarily works in commercial real estate. And I mean that's pretty easy to tell. I mean you can literally just search what listings they have if they're almost all residential. That's not your guy. It'd be someone who has a lot of commercial commercial listings, and and uh, and then yeah. So work with a, a you know competent realtor. But I mean, even further than that, I mean, too. I mean, networking, just talking to people, businesses. I mean, things that that's a lot of a lot of times you a deal might come from that. You know, you hear of um, one one building. I I bought the building. It was on the MLS as a vacant building, but I don't like vacant buildings typically to buy because they can sit for a while and also banks will not finance them. So like on a residential, you can get financing on a vacant um, building and they'll, they'll finance you. Not, not the case in commercial. Typically they, they want to see a tenant in place because they know it can, can sit a long time vacant as well. So for example, I found a, a vacant building that was available to everybody on, on, you know, realtor.ca, but uh, just through networking, I came across a, a tenant who was a perfect fit for that building we married the two. I got a lease in place and a purchase offer. So I, you know, was able to buy the the building really well because it was vacant and had a lease in place to go to the bank with and tenant got into the space that was perfect for him. And, and it was a, a really good fit. So networking is, is huge. Just shaking the bushes and, and you got to really, really dig on them. Yeah. For sure. So just, just getting out there and just being that boots on the ground and getting out there and do you do anything? Do you do social media? Do you do direct mail? Do you do like, you know, if we give me a little bit of the secret sauce here, kind of on how locating yeah. property, I don't think there'll be any other commercial realtors up in Grand Prairie that'll probably be listening to this, but, but some of these tips and things like that, you know, whether you're finding a commercial property or whether you're finding an apartment building or whether you're finding just a single family home, these are, these are valuable tips of somebody who's in the trenches every single day. What, like, what what else do you do to, to, uh, what else do you do to shake the leads to get properties to, to, to come to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely do, I do some Facebook ads, basically just, I buy commercial properties, contact me and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not saying a lot maybe comes from that, but uh, more and more just kind of getting known as someone who's in the market, who's, who's buying that and someone who can, can close. So if, if, if you do get broad deals, um, just someone who falls through on what you, you say you're going to do and, uh, and can close a property. Cause I mean, you know, any, any realtor who um, is in this space, I mean, they, they have a lot of people who maybe might want to work with them if they had an opportunity, but they kind of 
will filter filter out people who they can tell if you know aren't serious, aren't aren't uh, ready to, to act on something, and they'll send it to somebody else who who might uh, might want to might be able to close on it. So just that, just reputation of of being somebody who's in that space and just kind of be known as the guy that does that. So I do get a lot of um, you know deals across my desk from sellers or other other realtors who just know that's what I buy. So I I, I manage to get those those across my desk. And so that just, just that, I mean, it's, it's hard when you're just starting out, it's definitely hard to be a known quantity, but uh, you got to start somewhere by, by the first one and, and uh, kind of keep scaling and, and let people know, just let people know what you're doing and, and you, you do that enough and, and people will find stuff for you. Ooh, wee, hang on a sec. Bring in the fire here, Tam. Had a boy. Got to <laughs> drop in some fire. Now, now we're not going to have any that forest fires up, up Northern Alberta this year, which has been a lot of, it's been a lot drier. And obviously when fire happens, what do we do? We got to drop the bomb. All right. So, all, right. <laughs> all right. So, so, um, whoo. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so if you just are known for somebody who buys, and if you're known for somebody who has a buyer's list, it's amazing on how many opportunities just keep coming to you to analyze. And, you know, if you have people that can transact or you yourself transact, it's it's one of those things is just what a coincidence that more properties get attracted to you because you're known to somebody who closes, somebody who has a buyer's list or somebody who buys themselves. It's amazing how that happens, right? Absolutely. That's that's 100%. You, you, get, you get substantial amount of leads that nobody else sees a lot of time. Like either it's like in, in, my, in my case, sometimes it's a... Uh, a seller or even just someone who, Hey, I heard, I heard Bob wants to sell his building and, and that kind of stuff. So you, you get that lot as long as people, you know, know what you're doing and they'll, they'll go out and, and, and that, that goes for any kind of real estate, whether it's commercial residential, it's just, uh, just be, be known as somebody who is, is in that space and, uh, always do what you're saying you're going to do. And, uh, you'll, you'll definitely get opportunities. The harder, harder you work, the luckier you get in that, that type of scenario. Yep, 100%. I know my business partner in Edmonton who, you know, I bought 85%, 90, probably 90% of my properties through. He just shakes the trees. He just knows the developers. He knows the, the people that own the land positions. He knows all the builders and he's known as somebody who brings buyers to the table. Right. And yep. they just, they have a property and they want to sell a property. They, phone phone him up and say I got a property I need this to sell and he goes perfect I know the perfect person for that I'll have you an offer in you know a couple days type of thing right yeah yeah absolutely and that's and that's again super common in the commercial world there's there's you know every every realtor or or landlord or something like that they they know a couple guys they're going to call first if uh, if they want to move something and also with commercial real estate sometimes the land the landowner doesn't want actually anybody to know it's for sale so they they don't really want it on the on realtor.say and want, want a whole bunch of different uh, people going through it and analyzing it. So if they know if they have one or two people they can reach out to and and and, and if you're that guy then then you can definitely um, you know get get access these these properties before somebody else does and uh, and uh, make yourself a, a decent deal in the process and they're happy because it's easy and discreet and and some of those people they have multiple properties too so if you do do one deal with them they they, they may come back and and, and keep feeding you later too. No, I totally, totally agree. Okay, so let's let's say um we we're we're in the the market and we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about financing here in a bit through the process. Okay, I'm gonna kind of we're gonna kind of walk people through the process. So let's say somebody's listening to this or watching this on YouTube and they're going, you know what, I like it commercial. I want to take a look at it. Let's see what what Tim you know we find a good commercial realtor. We call Tim up. 
and Tim comes back and, you know, so walk me through the process. If I'm interested in buying commercial, how do I need to be qualified? What do you, do you, have, do you ask me a certain amount of questions? How does the process go for offering? And then we'll get into financing after that as well. So kind of walk me through the process. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'd initially just have a, a conversation about um, what exactly it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, if you're, if your goal is say, say, for example, I want to get into commercial, I've got some residential and I, I like the idea of commercial um, is fine. Okay. So if you're, what are your, what are your motivating factors for, for doing it? Are you wanting cash flow? Um, and say, say that's the case you're looking for, for, you know, maybe, maybe better cash flow. So we kind of talk about that and then kind of get an idea of what your budget is. Um, so, Typically, the kind of a quick rule of thumb, if you figure if you have about a third of the property value in cash available. So if you're looking at a million dollar property, you have $333,000 kind of available. About 25% of that will be down payment and the rest be kind of like a float, uh, a safety fund. And uh, so kind of get a sense of, of, of what, what capacity you can, you can afford to get into. And then from there, we would just uh, start talking about... Um, you know, what opportunities might be there. If, if there is any, again, a lot of times there, there might not be something on the market right now. And uh, we have to just kind of keep an eye out or, or make some calls and, and, and see if there's something that, that might fit for that. Um, and then again, say, say something does, does uh, come across that, that, that works right away, be just a, uh, okay, here's, here's the property um, on what I would do is find out, okay, what are the rents? And I'd kind of, for my, for my clients, I'd, I'd run the numbers for them and okay, Here's 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 how I see this, you know, laying out. Here's why I think it's maybe a good property, or here's why it's not a good property. Like they're they're asking way too much for it. Um, I mean, you don't ever want to believe though the say the the listing realtors pro forma on it because it can be very rosy. They can a lot of times, you know, even if they're not trying to see, they may not know, or it's just they'll look at it differently because they'll, for example, on a commercial property, we'll look at the the. Uh, the net income on it. So you're basically your, your income after all your expenses before uh, your mortgage, but you're also going to want to put a vacancy amount on there in my market called 8%. You're going to want to put, uh, you know, repairs and maintenance. So even though the tenant is looking after, you know, the typical stuff, there's still at some point a roof's going to go some point you're gonna to have to replace, uh, you know, their big major capital items, which is often at the landlord expense. So say you put three, 4% on that, depending on age of building and condition and that kind of thing. So, and from there, you'll get your, 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 your net operating income. And then from that, we would apply a cap rate to that. So say for in my market, 8% is kind of a number that kind of gets me interested in a deal. So we would, would put that on there. And, and if the number is in that range, then maybe it's something to, to look at further. Um, but you can, a lot of times, if you see marketing, you, see, see, you might see a market out there that says, oh, 9% uh, cap rate. Well, that's without any kind of vacancy. It's one of those magical buildings who never goes vacant and never has an expense. So you got to kind of really dig into the numbers, learn how to do the numbers yourself as well. And I'll always share my kind of templates with my clients so they can start learning how to underwrite their own deals as well. Wow. Holy moly. <laughs> Unpacked the, hang on, you're, Tim, Tim, you're on fire here, my brother. You're, you're bringing the, you're bringing the goods here today, brother. Oh, hope Our, that's not too technical. But no, <laughs> well, no. Oh, hang on. Got the fire, we got a bomber, right? No, please, please. Uh, I strongly encourage you to get as technical as you possibly can here because we have a very savvy audience um, of investors and, and very eager to to learn this kind of stuff. Um, okay, so 
somebody contacts you, you walk them through a little bit of um, essentially qualification. You you give them the real goods. Is you know, look, getting into commercial, you're going to need more money. Um, typically, your loan to values are a lot less in commercial, I would imagine, than than a residential property where you can. It, it all depends on the the numbers, I would imagine. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, seventy five percent loan to value is kind of a a fair fair place to be. I mean, there will be times if the if the bank might want you to go maybe 65% loan to value, depending on the, lo- the location of the property, maybe the tenants lease are shorter, or maybe there's more vacancy, they'll, they'll want you to put more, more down. But uh, 75% is kind of the good starting point to, to kind of reference from. Yeah. So, so, okay. So we come in, you ask them a few questions. I need to have my ducks in, or, in, or, in, in, a, in order of some capital, some qualification. Do you, then you do some work and you present a pro forma to your client as well. So that's awesome. That not, not ever, well, maybe in the commercial world, that's what realtors do, but it's amazing in the residential world, very few realtors will actually ever present a pro forma to their clients. They'll sit there and go, well, here's the MLS listing sheet. And you're going, well, okay, what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so you, you and, take, and that's, and, go yeah, ahead, please, please. I wouldn't say that's the norm. Um, just because I'm, I'm also, a buyer, I'll look at it like as if I'm going to buy it. Here's 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 numbers I would use to look at it, and I mean, I, I spend the majority of my time not as a as a commercial realtor. I spend the majority of my time as an investor, so I'm kind of you know focused through that lens specifically. Where a lot of other realtors, I mean, they even though even if they're commercial realtors, they might not they wouldn't maybe have the same details on the numbers as as I would because I'm I'm the one paying the bills on these buildings, so I kind of can can help them along the process and you know. Uh, try and get them as much information as they can to, to make a decision on it. But a lot of times I do get people who I guess look into it and, and realize maybe it's not for me. Like again, say, say if they did have that, that uh, you know, $300,000 available, but they can only buy one build with that. And they're, they're maybe gonna have to stop there. That, that might not be the best fit for them because again, that one building, if that one building goes vacant, they could be in trouble. So that, that might not always be the best fit unless they have, you know, wanting to get a bigger building where you have multiple spaces or, or, kind of diversify your risk that way. Um, and that, and a lot of times I, I do work with, with, uh, give people opportunity to join me on deals so we can buy bigger deals and, and have that, you know, scalability as, uh, and, and spread that risk over multiple units as well. Nice. Nice. So that's, that's a, a very key thing. Now you had mentioned a couple things about your pro formas and analysis and things like that. Is that something that um, you would, you share with your clients? Is that something that you'd be able to share with, with my audience as well? Like just even just some templates and how, how people look at it and things like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm an open book. I'd happy to show you a perform on, 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 on properties I've, I've underwritten for sure. Okay. So, so guys, if you're listening to this, um, in the, the notes, in the show notes, in the notes below, Tim, if just make a mental note to send me, send me a couple templates and I'll pop it in. Or if you have it on your website or someplace like that, by all means, let me know with the URL and I'll, uh, I'll put it in the show notes and people can just take a look at these templates and, and wonderful things like that. Cause I, I learn a lot. Everybody learns a lot by looking at something that somebody has done before and come a couple best practices from there. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'll definitely share. I mean, I definitely don't have it on a website there, but I'll definitely share it with you there. Yeah, please. Or just fire them off to me and I'll take care of it. Uh, okay. So, um, now financing, um, do you recommend somebody go get pre-positioned to go to have a conversation with a good qualified, more, uh, professional person before they start writing offers or is it typically you write the offer, then you get the financing or is it kind of a combination of all the above? 
Yeah, I would, I would recommend definitely having that first first uh, kind of pre-consultation. And probably with that, I'd probably send them maybe with a, a template of a deal, a typical deal that they might be looking at. Even if there's not a deal on the table, say, okay, here's a, the type of property I'm buying. Here's around what the numbers are going to look like. And then kind of give it to the, your, your banker and, and see if there's you know something there. If, if they think that's you know within your capacity to do that deal, or if, if maybe you're biting off more than you can chew, or again, and I wouldn't also go to your typical banker as well. Cause I mean, they're, they're personal bankers that you want to talk to a, somebody who, who does commercial on a regular basis. And uh, so there's, I mean, there's mortgage brokers who, who can do it, but I, I found in my experience, the best luck is to go, go bank direct, you know, pick the, the banks who, you know, have the more favorable terms for commercial real estate and just talk to their, their commercial division, their bankers directly. Yeah. I, one of the things I advise people to do, it's, very similar. We're, we're lockstep here. Is uh, get a what I call get a financing opinion because before you even write the offer, find out where you stand. Find out potentially what the building will what they'll finance. So you may find out that oh oh by the way, based on these numbers, we're only going to give you fifty percent down payment, and your interest rate's going to be eleven and a half percent, and blah 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 or whatever. And you're going well, I don't have the other fifty percent, right? So it's nice to exactly. kind of know that before you even kind of start writing the offer. Absolutely, yeah, Def, definitely. I'll be definitely want to do that in the, before you start writing offers and, and I guess burning bridges. When you, when you start writing offers, and you can't uh, back up. It definitely hurts your credibility, and you know, I can get future future opportunities if you don't kind of have at least at least some of your ducks. Are, I mean, yep. no bank's going to give you a pre approval on a on a shop before the, the details, but at least you'll know. Do you have the capacity to do this? Do we like these numbers, this area? And again, and maybe it's not the right bank either. I mean, just. Just because one bank says no doesn't mean it's it's a no. I mean, I, I I frequently myself I'll have a bank do some deals with them. Then the next one they don't like. Okay, I'll go find a different bank, and now they like that deal, and and it just got to basically um, have have different banks, different different options to work with. Yeah. And uh, again, some mortgage brokers can do that, but there's there's I, I just have found that in commercial specifically, it's it seems easier and all and less cost just to go to banker direct is in my experience. Yep. And 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 lies a little bit in, in this. There's a conundrum always, and I I often call it the commercial chicken and the egg. Really, is you sit there and you get a little bit of information, and you want to go to your mortgage broke to a mortgage professional to get an, a financing opinion. But then the seller doesn't want to give you any information until they get an offer. So you're trying to sit there. It's the the chicken and the eggs. Well, I need this information in order to go get some financing opinion in order to write you a good offer. And the seller's going, I'll give you this information when you write me an offer. So it's something's got to give in that scenario, typically. Dahlia Barsoom is back again with a wonderful tip on how to work with joint venture partners, something that's very near and dear to my heart. So if you're interested in working with joint venture partners, getting the financing is a little bit more stick handling, and Dahlia has a wonderful tip here to share with you. All right, take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and in the last episode, we started talking about creative financing, where I shared with you the private money strategy. On today's episode, I will share with you my tips on joint ventures, another creative money strategy to grow your portfolio. But first, let's start with what a joint venture is. Joint venture partners are other parties who are interested in investing in real estate with you. 
They may contribute funds or other skills that complement yours and can improve the performance of the investment or help obtain better financing overall for the venture, which you may not be able to obtain on your own. Many seasoned investors seek joint venture partners who can contribute funds but do not have the time or knowledge to invest in real estate. This strategy can be beneficial as it helps you grow your real estate portfolio to a scale that you may not be able to reach on your own once you have exhausted your own capital and resources. With such a setup, you and your joint venture partners would determine how you can split the returns and manage the risks through a legal agreement referred to as the joint venture agreement, which can be put together with the help of a seasoned lawyer. If you're considering a joint venture strategy, it is really important that you seek qualified partners before you start shopping for properties. Firstly, you need to ensure that their goals align with yours. And secondly, that you have had them review the joint venture agreement before you have a deal at hand and that they've reviewed it with their lawyer, you've ironed out all questions, and most importantly, everyone understands the worst case scenarios, which include death, divorce, bankruptcy, and disputes. In terms of financing, if your joint venture partner is responsible for the down payment and closing costs, then he or she must qualify for the mortgage and be on title as well as on the purchase and sales agreement. It is crucial that your joint venture partner goes through the mortgage pre-qualification process before investing with you. This way, you avoid mortgage surprises in the midst of a deal. If you're looking to expand your portfolio using joint venture partners, our team at Streetwise Mortgages offers special solutions and services for this particular strategy, including one, providing you with a complimentary joint venture financing binder to share with your JVs to help them get ready from a financing standpoint. Two, helping pre-position your joint venture partners from a financing point of view to acquire multiple properties and to ensure that they are mortgage ready so your transaction closes fast and smoothly when the time comes. And finally, advising you both on how to best structure the deals to maximize your ability to do more and more deals together. And most importantly, to ensure that you continue to scale personally. When joint ventures are structured incorrectly from a financing standpoint, they can hinder your personal ability to qualify for future financing. To discuss your joint venture growth plans, or if you need guidance on how to best structure your joint venture deals from a financing standpoint, email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's that's very true. And I mean, there is there is some sellers who, they, yeah, they, they won't really want to provide anything until um, you have an offer in place. But again, how can I make an offer? I don't know what your rents are. I don't know, what, you know, don't know if the deal makes sense. So I mean, we always, you know, I would always just push back and 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 try and lay that out. And again, you don't need to get all the information. You don't need to see every lease and you know see all the details. But okay, what's your what's your what's your base rent? Is there anything? The thing is, too, is there anything weird in the lease that, that's gonna maybe um, mess me up? But again, to qualify that, a lot of times they say, oh no, it's just normal triple net lease. Get your offer in place. Sometimes you get back and you review the thirty-page lease, and it's like find things in there that are deal killers. Like for example, I had one deal under contract, you know, the numbers look good at, at first glance. And so I wrote an offer, got accepted. And then I'm digging through the 30 page lease and it's like, oh, you're paying property tax for your tenant. 
well, you didn't tell me that. That's a that's a $30,000 year bill. Like that's that's a deal killer. Like that's now it's unsellable property. Like it's it's you know, there's stuff like that you find, or you find a you tell you told me a five-year lease, but I, I go into your lease and it says yes, it's a five-year lease, but the tenant has a 60-day out clause. So if they give you notice, they can terminate within six days. So you actually have a 60-day lease. So a bank is not gonna be on board, and I don't want to be on board because I really only have a 60-day lease. So there's definitely but that's all again that's down the line the due diligence that's stuff you, you dig into a lot of times you won't actually see the leases until later on but that's okay as long as the numbers look good you you, you do that end but um get your initial initial numbers make sure they look good and then if they look good you can kind of dig into the, the more stuff after that but you also don't want to spend a whole bunch of time going through every detail before you know you have a deal because yep. that's the, the biggest thing is the the numbers have to work at the front end 100 percent. and i often sit there and go you know I, I don't have commercial properties, which I, I should probably start looking at this is if I was ever selling a commercial property, right? I would ha- I would want to have all my books, all my ducks in a row. Here's the lease, give the agent, like I'd want to give everything to the person in advance. So we're not wasting our time with a, with a terrible offer and the whole back and forth and just, just give them what they want and get the books in tip top shape, get the leases in good shape and, and just make it shine. Right. Most people don't do that. And I, I would agree 100% with you. That's that that would be the way to do it. But I'd say in practice, that almost never happens. It's very rare you have somebody with 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 that. It's it's more it's more like, oh yeah, here's kind of a you know a chicken scratch rent roll on it, and um, oh I don't have any financials because I I run it through a different company, got mixed in with this other one, and it's about this. There's a there's a lot of digging that goes on after the fact um, to verify their information. But uh, I mean, if you if you if you work with someone who does is in that space a lot, they can they can look at the numbers and, and know if something's off. You know, just at first glance, sometimes like, oh, wait a second, why 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 is this this uh, you, you know this property tax number that 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 seems out of whack? Something's wrong here. Like, there's just different things you can pick up on if you're if you're in it all the time looking yeah. at it. Yeah. So that's if you're selling, get your ducks in a row to sell. If you're buying, you actually would sit there and go, hmm, the harder I have to dig and the deeper I have to dig and the harder to pull the, the information out might be the opportunity to get a better deal, right? The, the poor yeah, operators, true, yeah. the ones that aren't doing a good job are probably the ones that are, you're going to get the better deals. Is that a fair assessment? I, I would... I would agree with that for sure. And they're the also ones, maybe their rents are low. Like they're, maybe they're, you know, their rents are $10 a square foot when the market is now 14. And that's a, you know, that's a huge difference in valuation. So if you're, if you're buying at that, that uh, $10 valuation versus, you know, you can get those rents up at the next lease renewal up to 14. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's a large percentage of, of free equity you can get there. So right. awesome. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the people who are less, less organized are, are more likely to yeah, maybe not not be running their property the way they should be. Yep, and you probably sit there and go, you probably start rubbing your hands. Oh, they don't have any of these documents. I know offhand. I know how much dollar per square foot that's going to get for rent. I know those kind of things. And man, this might be an opportunity. And and you're probably a buyer first, a realtor second. I, and you've said that a couple 100%. times. Hundred percent. That's right? that's definitely my focus. Absolutely. Well, do you so do I, you pass and, any? And, do you, and, and Tim? F- do you pass any of those really good deals on to your buyers, or do you buy them all for yourself? Yeah. And, and so, yeah. And to be fair, I always tell any clients of mine, like I am a, I'm an investor first and I'm a realtor kind of second. So um, I am buying, if, we, if we're looking at the same thing, if you kind of, after a consultation, say I'm looking for X, Y, and Z and like, okay, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for as well. I'll just, you know, straight up say, yes, that's, that's what I'm looking at as well. So I might not be the best, best fit for you, but you know what, there is deals to cross my desk 
maybe I, I can't do or aren't a good fit for me that may, might be a good fit for you. And I'll, I would still send them your way and uh, maybe that would work for them. Um, but I would say, yeah, if you really want to be in that, I'm probably not the guy because you're going to be competing with me on, on different offers. But same time, there is times when I don't have the capital or, or just a property for whatever reason, just it doesn't quite work for me, but it might work for them. There is times when I definitely just pass, pass decent deals on to people, no question. Wow. Nice. How refreshing. Like just tell them yeah. the truth up front and, and, uh, see where it goes from there and not have to, you know, chase the deal and tell them whatever they want. Just, just be open and honest up front. So well done. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's always my, my policy is be straight up with them. Like saying, I, I, again, I know, I know some realtors who maybe do flips and yeah, they're, they have flip clients, but they're also buyers of, of them. And I mean, that definitely creates a, a dilemma. It's like, which uh, do I send this to my my client or do I just do the deal myself? So I just straight up front, I'm I'm an investor first, but uh, I do come across deals that I don't always do. So I'll, I'll send something your way if it, if it fits your criteria. Yep. Nice. Nice. Okay. So let's get back to the process. So we've had our qualification conversation. I have the capital. I'm prepared. I've gone to a qualified bank or a, a commercial lender. Then they've given me an opinion on maybe a pro forma that you've sent me of some listings that you have on the shelf at the moment. Everything yeah. kind of looks good. I've honed in on one of them. What's kind of the next step for the acquisition of that property from there? The diligence steps, the offer steps, what what do we do from here? Yeah. So I guess your so your offer be kind of kind of similar to your residential. You you basically will write up a formal formal offer and uh, same thing, you put your conditions in the same way you would on a residential, but you'll have everything's longer. Everything takes longer in the commercial world. So instead of having say a two week condition period, you might have in residential, you're going to have minimum six, maybe you go four weeks if you really want to push it, but six weeks is a bit safer to go six weeks conditions because the bank for one is going to take a long time to get, get you approved. Plus a lot of times there's other reports you got to gather. Um, environmental is something that is going to be, every bank's going to require you to have an environmental report and that can take 30 days to get. So the prepared sellers will have that pre-done and you can just use their report. But I'd say most sellers don't want to spend the money if they don't know they have a deal. So they won't spend the three or four grand on a report. And so you'll have to do that through your due diligence. So in your offer, you'd put, you know, subject to environment, a clean environmental to buyer satisfaction, six weeks for financing. And, uh, and I just do like kind of a catch-all due diligence condition as well. Just kind of catches everything and then you want to check out because you're going to look at the leases, and, and you know, kind of what, what the way I do it is start looking at the big items first. If there's something big that's going to cause you to blow up the deal, let's look at that first and not waste waste too much time. So, you know, get it from the banker, you know, first first glance from the banker. Again, they're not going to give you a, a solid, you know, yay right away, but at least they can look at numbers. Okay, no, this is within our range. This is reasonable. Um, get the maybe the roof checked out because roof is a major cost item. So get that, you know, get a local roofing company to go there and give their opinion on it and let you know if there's, there's anything of concern there. And some landlords will have maintenance records where you could look at, but I'd still always get the, get an independent opinion of it and have it looked at. And, and then the, the lease review. So you go through there, they'll use, they'll provide you a rent roll before you put the offer in most of the time, if you push them a bit, but uh, leases typically won't get all the leases. So then you go through all the leases and just see if there's anything in the lease that's going to cause the deal to blow up. So, you know, and kind of get that out of the way early before you spend too much time, too much money on all your other reports. Yep. So yeah, you go through that stuff. And if, if everything's kind of clear sailing, still looking good from there, then I'd always wait till my bank gives me the go ahead, at least a conditional approval saying, okay, you're approved as long as the environmental is clean, the appraisal is good. And then typically a lot of banks will ask for a structural report as well. 
So basically like a home inspection on steroids where they actually will want an engineer to go there and, and inspect the, the building and make sure there's no major you know, issues there that, that might cause concern. So, you know, all those reports. So typically the environmental will be paid by the seller. If you put in the contract, that's kind of the norm, but not always, it's got to be negotiated in. And then the other reports you'd pay for. So appraisal, um, you know, the in, you know, building inspection, that'd be paid by you. And, and there are a lot more in commercial. So, I mean, you're three to four grand for an appraisal is pretty typical. Um, three to four grand for a, 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 you know, inspection is pretty typical. So just kind of bigger numbers. And uh, you just kind of go about your due diligence that way. Yeah. Now, I imagine this is exactly the same in the commercial world as it is in the commercial residential world. Apartment building is, I make the joke, is uh, when it comes to diligence, everything takes 10 times longer and everybody has their handout for for a fee for every piece of work and it's all payable up front and it's non-refundable. Correct. Yeah, you got you to spend, you got to spend probably, you know, Ten to fifteen thousand dollars on the deal, you know. Sometimes before you have any any assurance it's going to get done. I mean, and the bankers will always push you to okay, get me an appraisal, get me the uh, environmental, get me the inspection, and then I'll go through the deal. So, in my world, I'm like, no, no, I want you to look at the numbers first before I spend fifteen thousand dollars on all these reports, yeah. and then give me at least your you know uh, approval based on those reports being clean because it's kind of a they don't want to do too much work on it before they know something, but I don't want to pay too much money. So it's kind of a balancing act. You kind of have to negotiate with your banker on that to when things get done. Yeah. And typically most, and banks, also, most banks have oh, a, an sorry. application fee too, in order to even uh, to, to have the privilege yes. of borrowing the money and put an application and they have a fee as well. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very common to have an application fee. And, and again, you know, depending on who you're with brokers or banks direct, then that's one of the reasons I like going bank direct is there's, there's the fees are lower if, if you're going bank direct than a broker because less people have to get paid. Um, so yeah, you know, on a typical deal, I'm paying, you know, five to $10,000 in, in bank fees as far as just for the privilege of, of borrowing the money, yeah. all, their, all their paperwork <laughs> to go with it. And, uh, and then legal fees are substantially higher as well. Okay. Got it. Understood. Okay. So, and then just always budget more time and then, okay. So we've, we've, um, uh, got an offer in, we now are going through the financing process. We're going through all the diligence. Do you kind of have a, a diligence checklist that you share with people as well uh, with things and things to check out? Do you have kind of in that package of performers and stuff, do you have kind of a little bit of a checklist that you use as well? Maybe I should, but no, I don't have a specific okay. checklist, but I, I just have a... I, I, I would a, bet I would bet you do. It's probably it's, it's, between... It's, it's your... up there, but yeah, it's not... And I've never put it on paper, but but uh, yeah, there definitely is a, a checklist there. Yeah, okay. So, so and, no. uh, I mean, again, the, the main thing is, yeah, just check out your major major items first is always my thing. Check out the things are going to blow up the deal first and then kind of work with the, the other details later yeah. and check them out. And, yeah. and then also, I didn't mention before, but you know, interviewing the tenants as well. That's something I, I do as well you know, probably quite a bit later in the process because a lot of times the landlord is, doesn't really want you to, sometimes not even want you to know it's for, their tenants know it's for sale. So they want to know, you know, at least maybe at that point you have a, a bank approval in hand, you know, subject to some conditions and then maybe get the permission to talk to tenants. I mean, there's yeah. some, some, some landlords will let you talk to them, you know, the, the, right away. They don't care, but other ones will kind of real protective of, of wanting that. So, yep. you know, I, you learn I a lot from talking to tenants. I would imagine the, the health 
of the tenant's business is probably one of the most paramount things in, in the commercial space is, and I'm going to use a bad reference here. Uh, don't get, don't, don't hold this against me, but if there's a blockbuster video rental on, in one of the commercial <laughs> spaces or one of the, the retail spaces, you might want a second, you might want to have a second opinion yeah. or have a conversation with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hope you catch that in the, before the offer fees, but uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, but however, but, with but, the commercial, you can literally go and you can do research on the businesses. Like you don't have to, you can see who's in there and what's the business. You know, if I'm sitting there going, oh, geez, one of the corner tenants, one of the anchor tenants is a, is a liquor, the liquor distribution branch or something, right? Or, you yeah. know, if it was cannabis or something, maybe I'd have a little bit of leery about that, but you know, there's certain you know, one, maybe it's a coffee shop or a, or whatever, right? You just, you can do some research on the businesses that, that are the tenants oh, in there absolutely. right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, really a lot of what you're, you're buying the building, but you're also buying the, the tenants as well at the lease in place. They have value. If they're good long-term tenants, then they have higher value than, than mm-hmm. like you said, a, a blockbuster video who's a little bit away from just uh, being shut down, but yeah. you definitely, yeah, definitely tenants are important for in your due diligence, just for your future you know, safety as well as the banks to look at the tenants as well. Again, no, I don't know if they're going to look into them as far as like pulling financials and stuff like that, but I mean, they're going to, they're going to be aware of, and they'll ask around too, like, you know, off the record, other bankers, does this tenant pay their bills, that kind of stuff. So yep. Yep. you can definitely, uh, yeah, that's, that's part of the process. And that's, and that's, again, even the interview process, you can find out a lot about, about the building as well. Like the last tenants, any issues with the building? Oh yeah. The roof leaks like all the time. Like, you know, they'll, they'll just like residential, they, a lot of times they'll just tell you as it is. They're not going to try and uh, you know hide it from you typically because um, they, they they want it dealt with and they yep. want it to be known. So and and just uh, as far as their plans, like I mean, maybe maybe they maybe they only have a year left on the lease, but uh, oh, you guys happy here? Going? Oh yeah, we love this place. We don't want to go anywhere. And uh, and uh, and that versus yeah, actually, we're once this lease up, yeah, we got a, we got another spot. We're going to. We're out of here. There's this this place is terrible because there's a homeless problem in the back end or whatever. So there's. You know, you learn a lot of that stuff just interviewing your tenants as yep. part of your due diligence. Yeah, I would imagine yeah. that in in the case of the commercial, the tenant is one of the most important assets in the whole equation of this. You know, if you have an entrenched, I'm just going to use another example. If you have an entrenched Italian family restaurant that's been there for 29 years and their identity is about this location on the corner of this street and they have all this kind of stuff, y- you probably have a good assurance that they're probably going to want to stay there for quite a while and they might even have succession planning and hand it down and all that kind of stuff too. So it's it's very important to have the asset, which is your tenant, the business in it, and do your diligence on them. Okay, so yeah, yeah, even even so much more, like I said, so much more so in commercial than, than residential. Because I mean, yeah, that's they're 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 a huge part of why you're making the best decision because you're comfortable with with them and how long they're going to be there. And, yep. and the bank, the same thing. If they're not comfortable with the tenant, they're they're going to say no. Even if the even if the building for the price looks good, but oh, we don't like this tenant. We hear it doesn't pay his bills. We're not going to do this. Yeah. So. so even if you even to put it this way, is think about it this way, everybody. They're a partner in the business with you, more so than a residential person living in a home is. They can go in a year's time. They have no attachment, but the business is truly your building. Is that you're they're in partnership with you in many respects. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so we, let's say it all checks out, we get an offer, the closing process costs more money. It takes longer. We've closed, we've owned the property. So now let's just talk a little bit about 
management of a commercial property and also um, the lease process and this term called tenant improvements. So I know there's three kind of things there first. So let's talk about property management first. Um, is this something you hire out? Is this something you can do yourself? What are some best practices for managing a commercial property, Tim? Yeah, so I, I do I do the of commercial buildings, I do in-house property management. I have myself and I also have a, an office manager who looks after a lot of that uh, stuff as well. And I mean, there's not... It's not like there's nothing to do, but there's less to do in a, in a commercial than there is residential, especially, I mean, if it's a single tenant building, then it's, then there's very little to do. Literally it's, it's, you know, collect the rent, make sure the insurance and proper taxes are paid. And, and that's, you know, unless there's a major problem with the roof or something like that, there's, there's not a lot to do. So a lot of times you'll, I've had some tenants who they've been in there for years and, and there's never been any communication in, in years on some and they just they have they set up on direct deposit and it just gets pulled out of the account and it's it's it can be very smooth. But there's other times when there's if there's you know some issues with the building you need to deal with, or if there's some move outs and 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 that. And there's different types of property that have more more work required than others. So if it is a multi-tenant uh, building, multiple bays, use their snow removal and grass to look after. So that would just be you know hire out a, a, a company for that and 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 just look after making sure they're they're happy and paid for. And, uh, and then, and typically in that type of scenario, maybe you might have a little more turnover in your tenants than say your single tenant bay would be, cause there is maybe, maybe it's a smaller, more affordable space. So people are moving in as a startup business and maybe they're moving up and out. So there's a bit more turnover there. Um, but it's, again, you're not getting the calls, but oh, the toilet's leaking or, oh, this uh, electrical, the switch here is not quite working. Like, you're not, you're not getting those kind of calls. I mean, and if you do occasionally get those calls, you say, oh no, actually just, you know, you got to look after that. Just I'll give you a good plumber's name if you need, but that's that's a, that's on your end to look after. Yeah. So so by and large, it can be done. It's a little simpler. Um, you know, just imagine with a good group of contacts and who to call and who to talk to, you can get a lot of that done. And so it can be. And and here's the beautiful thing about commercial. I would imagine is you can actually charge for the man. You can charge the tenant for the management cost. Is that is that true? That's typically in a lot of the leases. That, yeah, that's very typical. So yeah, as opposed to, again, if you, typical is about 5% of your base rent, you could, you would charge, again, it's whatever your lease says, but it's typical that it gets charged in there. So yeah, you're basically charging, charging them to manage them. So yeah. you can farm that out to somebody and they would typically charge that same 5% so that it's no, no cost to you, or you can do it internally to cover your internal costs. Like you're, you know, in, in my case, I have an office manager who I, you know, have to pay for that. So you know, you can do that. And that's very typical. I mean, the thing is with commercial, everything's all over the place. I mean, when you inherit buildings, I mean, the lease might say you can pay management fee, but oh, they haven't charged the management fee in 10 years. And I've, that's, that's very common. Um, or there's ones that, you know, it's by the book and they charge, they charge management fees and they charge, uh, um, you know, exterior maintenance fee, like, because eventually the roof is going to fail. So we want to have a charge in there for that. So what the, what each, how each person handles the building is, is very different. And, uh, you, again, when you buy a building with existing tenants, you're kind of inheriting what they have. And again, you, you can maybe, if fee weren't being charged, maybe you could incorporate it, but at the same time, you don't always want to come in all of a sudden, oh, now your fees are a thousand dollars more a month and, and not a great way to start off. So you kind of got to balance that and, and, and make sure it's, you know, doable for everybody. Like you said, your tenant is your partner. So you want to, you want them to be, be, you know, happy and be there long-term, but at the same time, it's a business. So you got to make sure your, your base are covered as well. It's kind of yep. a, a balancing act there. Yeah. You now guys just imagine that in, in, in a residential world that you can, one of the reasons why 
I believe most people self-manage in residential is there's two reasons. One is they're really controlled and they just, they, they can do it better than any other party and they can just do it, which I 100% agree. You will take more care of it doing it yourself than any third party, no matter how good they are. Okay. But one of the main reasons why people do is because the margins are so thin that you can't afford to hire anybody to do it. So you just are forced to do it and you actually hate it and you just hate that side of the things. In the commercial realm, from what I'm hearing from Tim, is the margins are significantly better that you can treat this like a business, that you can hire somebody to do it. As a matter of fact, you can put that cost onto the tenant and build it into your lease. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, and, and, and yeah, and, and, and again, some people might do it to save the money, but there's also there's other things there that, again, I've seen so many things where, like, I'll take over building and they weren't charging the tenant in, uh, insurance payments. Like, it's in the lease, but they just... Oh, I didn't even think we charged that because they don't really know they're not involved. It's more of kind of a side thing. Maybe they had a business and then they moved out and now they've got a tenant in place and they just do it that way. So um, just because you can always self-manage doesn't mean you should. Like there's things that, that you're going to gonna miss. And and so you definitely see it see it all the time where things are, are not looked after because, yeah, they're just just not engaged and, and maybe not even have the experience to know that they're that's that's the norm and and the tenant's not gonna tell you any different you're not charging me for insurance or something like that so you definitely gotta get yourself educated like in, in anything if you're gonna manage it yourself get yourself educated or find a good property manager and at least you're not paying that that uh that cost out of your pocket it will come out of the tenant's pocket if you have a a properly done lease yep. and uh yeah, treat it like a business, like more than ever. You know, we talk about it on the residential side, treat it like a business, treat it like a business, but this this is a business. That is what it is, right? It's, and uh, treat it like the business it is. Okay, so we can go many, many different directions. And, and what I want to do here is I want to talk a little bit about the lease the lease in the, um, within the commercial, like it's, there's no typical residential or or I should, I have to keep getting my (laughs) terminologies. There's no typical lease that is governed by a governing body. I would imagine is this 100% to be negotiated between tenant and landlord. Talk to me a little bit about the lease process. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you're right. There is no standard, um, lease. No, there's no, there's no landlord tenant board who kind of referees any issues there. Basically it's contract law. So it's whatever's agreed upon by both parties is, is the way, the way it is. Like a lot of times I'll have questions from other even landlords saying, Oh, my tenant said this and this, and I don't know what to do here. Well, my almost always my response, well, what's the lease say? Check the lease. What's the lease say? Who, who does what? The lease will lay it out. If, you know, hopefully you have a, a properly done lease to lay it out. But um, again, there is no standard. Some people just almost use a residential lease and you're kind of, that's what they work with. There's others who go to the extreme. They have a, a 40 page lawyer drawn up lease that nobody can understand except the two lawyers who you know drew it up. So I, I personally, I kind of have an in-between. I mean, I have a, a, a lease that kind of, it's like a six, seven page lease that covers all your bases, but it's not so, I want my tenants to understand it. I want them to read it and know what they're agreeing to versus the 40 page lease. They're like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll just sign it and, and not know know what it is. But I mean, the the norm is definitely the longer lease, um, you know, done up by a lawyer. And, and every land will have their own lawyer, and the lawyers say, "Oh, you have to, you know, always got to have have me run, write every lease for you and cover this, cover that." I mean, you know, can be good advice. It also, can be costly to have a a lawyer do it for you every time, and and that's so why I, I kind of have a standard my own internal lease I use, which is you know, it has the protections in place, but it's not maybe. 
right. uh, impossible to understand, and, and nobody really understands it. So. In, in the commercial space, is there anything such as uh, rent controls? I know that's a, a word that most Albertans don't understand, right? <laughs> no. Uh, no rent controls. There's there's no... <clears throat> what about an eviction process? Is that clearly defined in the lease? Like, if somebody stops paying for whatever reason, or they start going against the terms in there, what kind of a process do, do you have to get somebody out? Well, what's your lease say, Russell? Good answer, good answer. That is kind of the answer on that is uh, yeah. um, whatever the lease says governs it. I mean, my my leases will have a clause in their basis that if they, if they stop paying rent, I can I can lock the doors and, you know, repossess their stuff. Again, you don't want to do that. That's the nuclear option, but it's it's in there. Do you have different stuff where you don't have to go through a whole court process to get them out like you would in a, in a residential um, lease. Yeah. So yeah, totally understand it. And that the cool thing is, is whatever you can negotiate and agree to with landlord and tenant is what the governing law is. And I imagine if, if, all push came to shove, it would be that you're going to court to do this as opposed to any government legal body. If there's any disputes and stuff like that, there might be some higher legal bills as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Be, be through courts. And I mean, again, the idea of, of the lease and why why they'll be so detailed in writing up the lawyers is because they don't, they want to be able to avoid the court here. The lease right. says, if you don't pay your rent, I can I can repossess your stuff and change the locks. And again, you, you don't ever want to do that, but you have it there in case it's not like residential where you got to jump through all the hoops for months and wait for the boards to kind of give you permission to to take your property back. You can you can do it once they're in default of the lease. So oh, awesome. Yeah, that's one of the things that kind of attracted me to it. Just I mean, it's it's it is easier to get a tenant out if you want to, but at the same time, you're a partner with your tenant, so you don't really a lot of times want them to leave because you know it's not like I can just put an ad up and have somebody in there the next month like you can for residential. It's there's a process and, yeah. and a cost to getting it refilled. So ideally you want to succeed, but if they're not paying your rent, then you have to, you know, they're basically stealing from you. So you have to act accordingly. Wow. So so really uh you know it's got favorable landlord and tenant laws. You get better cash flows, you get um, you know um, potentially uh, a better asset that you can work with. Man, you're, you're painting this very r- rosy there, very Tim. It's, it's <laughs> there are like, some downsides too. Yeah, it's not, it's not I all, imagine that all tenancy angles. risk of having something empty for a long period of time would be a very frightening thing to have somebody have to keep writing a check each month with no rent coming in. Absolutely, and that's and that's the biggest the biggest uh, downside is is that it, it can sit it can sit empty. I mean, you see buildings sit empty for a year or two. Even the market's okay. It's just if that building doesn't fit for the specific tenant who's looking, and and the you know it can it can sit. So that's the the biggest downside. That's why I always recommend don't have just one building. Have have them spread over multiple units. You know, even if it's even if it's is different buildings within the same company, you can still spread that risk out versus. Mm, yep. uh, Smart. having one and, 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 uh, and cash reserves. I mean, definitely keep a larger cash reserve than you would in residential. Like that's all, that's kind of your two defense mechanisms. Your, you know, a little bit of uh, diversity between your units and cash reserves. And then, I mean, I like cash flow as well as defense mechanism. If you have a lot of cash flow and good cash flow properties and you have an empty one, those ones will make up for it. So. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, I, I mentioned the term tenant improvements, TI. And um, can you talk about that a little bit before uh, before we pivot in the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, tenant improvements, basically it's um, getting the space ready for the tenant. So 
a lot of them might be specialty uses if you have a say a say an empty retail spot but you have, your next tenant might be an office tenant then all the walls putting that up and that's again all to be negotiated with uh, who's paying for that sometimes it's the landlord they'll pay for it to get a tenant in there sometimes the tenant will you know 100 take that on and, and put that cost in which if you can get a tenant doing that i mean you know you're gonna have a long-term committed tenant because they're spending that money to improve the space and so again you see it both ways um and sometimes it's all all kind of the the uh i guess the um how motivated you are to to do either whether you're the tenant or landlord who ends up paying that cost there's no real set norm it's always the tenant for this but always plan off that it's it's kind of all over the place um and your leases like i said all different things in your leases as far as what who does what and, and that mm. so and and is it kind of a 50 50 type of thing or or is it just kind of it just it all depends you know it's like an accounting question it depends accounting question <laughs> it all it, it depends but it, it's, it's it's so true though it's I, I always hate hearing that answer. It depends, but yeah. it, it it really is. It's it's you know case specific and property specific. I mean, the like I said, my kind of my bread and butter properties. There's not a whole bunch of tenant improvements typically. Like there's a you know like I said, a little office up front and a big shop in the back, big warehouse yep. back. There's not a lot of stuff. Yeah, Maybe remember mullet you know, guys, mullets, mullets, <laughs> and mullet guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So now you know the mullet, you might might need a little bit of uh, some welding plugs in the back that aren't there. So again, who's paying for that? That's just part of the process. If yeah. if my vac- if my bay's been vacant a while and I've had no interest, I'll probably offer to pay that. Where if I have you know multiple people interested in the spot, I'll probably say, well, if you want to, if you want welding plugs there, you you hire an electrician and make sure that you got a permit and and get them put in. So okay. it really is all over the place. So so um, let's talk about if if it was look okay, let's just run a scenario here and there's always the what ifs, right? What ifs and depends. Okay. So let's say, um, if I'm going to be as the owner, as the landlord, I'm going to be putting in some of these improvements. Does that mean that I potentially can charge a higher rent to help capitalize that? Or is it typically the rent is the rent or vice versa? If they're doing the work, is the rent usually a little less? Like what does that, how does, how would that work if it goes either way? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, say on a typical, we, say we'd advertise the space, say I've got a space there and I'd advertise, call it, call it $12 a square foot. And that would be as typically as is, as you see is $12 a square foot. And if, if you're going to want me to put a whole bunch, say a hundred grand worth of improvements in it, then yes, I'd probably ask for a, a higher rent amount um, to, you know, compensate for that cost or the tenant will say, okay, no, I, I don't want to pay high rent, but I'll, I'll put the money up for the, the improvements and, and do it that way. So it's all kind of, case by case negotiation. And again, it all kind of comes down to um, how negotiable the landlord is and how negotiable the tenant is. Like I said, if, if I've been sitting a long time and I have no other prospects, I'm going to probably bend over backwards for, for a tenant. Actually, I had a, a building that just, just went vacant and the outgoing tenant was going to leave all the office furniture, but uh, they ended up taking it. They, they didn't t- say for sure, but they always oh, going to stay. And then I had an incoming tenant who was, I want that furniture. So end up, they take the furniture and I'm, I'm eating some furniture costs because I, I, I thought I'd do it for them. And it was a, a property who's maybe a little tougher to move. So, you know, I'll eat the cost to get a, a new tenant in there. So there's, it's all kind of case by case yep. where I have a different building where they want to put a, a shower room in because they're going to build a gym in that, in that space, which, I mean, I'm not going to have a lot of value for that after they move out because it's kind of specific. So it's like, I don't want to pay the cost for that. And it's a more desirable spot. So I'm like, if you want it, you can do it, but it's at your cost. Hmm. So I would imagine also could be a, um, you know, potentially a little marketing ploy as well as, you know, maybe you're advertising and sit there and go owner will contribute a blah, 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 
uh, tenant improvement for improvements in the property to try to land a tenant. I imagine that you could, there's lots of fun things you can do with that. Oh, absolutely. And then especially on new builds too, that's very common. And they say, okay, we'll give you a $25 per square foot allowance to build out your office. So if, if maybe it'll, it'll just be a shell and we'll say, okay, $25 square foot, which doesn't really go that far, but maybe that's what they're, they're marketing or, or whatever right. they negotiate from there. But, you know, the real specific uses, I mean, typically the landlord's not going to want to pay those out unless they can maybe recover it within the lease. So if say it's a, a dental where they're real specifics that they're putting in there, usually they, the landlord isn't going to want to do that because if they end up moving out that specific, it's not going to be, be a value. So, but uh, if maybe you, you advertise that over the, say you get a 10 year lease, okay, the costs advertise over 10 years with some marge, margin for, for doing it and, and might be a win-win there as well. So it's, it's really, again, there's, there's a lot that goes into the negotiation process and it all kind of comes down to you know, what works for either party and, and how motivated the other party is. Yep. Oh, cool. So it truly is a negotiation and it truly is a business transaction. And I would imagine it would come down to a little bit about the nature of the business if they need to, uh, what they need to put into the property, if it's going to be their equipment, or it's going to be all their own stuff and they need to take it with them, right? It probably will be a different, as opposed to a fixture of the, of the building, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Holy yeah. moly, Tim. Uh, so, so we could go, we could go on for probably another hour and a bit here with, with this. You're, you're just an extremely well knowledge person. You're obviously, did you, did I hear correctly? Did I make the right note that you bought your first place when you were 18? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I and so of, you're only, you're only uh, like 24 now, right? Is that correct? Or? 24. Yeah. No. <laughs> So yeah, you've been no, in this game for a while. 40, almost, almost 40 here now. So I've been, been at it a little while for sure. Wow. But, uh, Congratulations. Yeah, the first one, yeah. I My my parents, we did a rent calculation. What what rent was versus what a mortgage payment would be. And I was like, what? You mean it's cheaper to buy the house than the the, uh, the to rent it? Well, I'll just do that. And I'll just do that over and over again. And that was kind of the first first thought of doing that. And that's kind of what I started to do. And, and uh, yeah, I just kind of liked that and didn't look back. Awesome. So, so um if somebody was sitting here and they're listening to this and they go, holy moly, this sounds really rosy and I, man, I'd like to make this pivot into, or even just jump right into it. What, what advice would you give to somebody for that? They're looking to just get into this game of commercial. Now we're going to talk about somebody who's just starting. They probably have already, and let's make the assumption that they have um, some acumen and maybe they have a, a, a single family property or two or three. They, they know how to, they know about real estate, but now they want to maybe make mm-hmm. that pivot. What would be some practical first steps for somebody to make that pivot into the wonderful world of commercial? Yeah. Um, I, I think because every market is a sub-market, I mean, get to know your local market and just like really get to like, dial in on, okay, what are what are rents in this market? I mean, a lot of you can do just online, like research, okay, this building's going for this. And then just start start running calculators on them and and, and find, okay, this building, okay. And some, sometimes commercial, there's a building is listed for lease and for sale. Okay. This one's listed for $12 a square foot and it's a million dollars. Do the math on it. Does this build make sense? And just kind of get get kind of in there. And I mean, if you can, if you can have a, um, I guess, an understanding of your realtor who can really walk through process, just start looking at properties and 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 get a get a feel for what things go for. And and then you can know know when a deal actually comes up if it's if it's a deal that works for you. Like start start running a lot of analyzing properties as if you're going to buy them and 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 do a lot of that stuff. So when a deal does cross your desk, you're ready to go and 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 get. 
get yourself ready to be able to shoot the puck if that that deal does cross your desk. Like talk to your mortgage broker beforehand, whoever you can work with, and make sure. Okay, I know I can get approved for between one and two million dollars as long as the, the you know the, the numbers work on it and and that kind of stuff. So because again, a lot of time is um, again even if if I have a client who maybe I'm going to pass a deal to, if they're not ready to do it, if I know they're not kind of ready to pull the pin, I'm going to I'll probably I'll send it to somebody else who I think is is ready to shoot. So you kind of got to. Make sure that you're you're ready to act if if an opportunity comes, and the best way to do that is educate yourself and uh, and you know get get really versed in in whatever it is you're focusing on. No, oh, awesome. Like so, like most things in life, is to first of all, you know, make a commitment that that's something you want to dive into. Start educating yourself. Start becoming an expert in that. Then start having the conversations with the with the team members in there, and just follow the steps and and be able to. Um, I have a client in Saskatoon and, and it doesn't take, it's not as onerous and as not as daunting as you think. And it can happen quicker than you think too. A uh, client in Saskatoon that from first time we had a conversation and then he decided he was going to make that pivot into commercial. He was into getting into properties within nine months with things. And um, nice. here's the cool thing too, is there's an awful lot of things you can negotiate in commercial space too. You can negotiate rent to owns on the purchase a lot more too. You can negotiate agreements for sales on things and stuff like that. Like there's a lot more creativity in the commercial realm than there is in the residential realm. Would you agree to that point as well? Oh, I agree hundred percent. There's, there's definitely a lot more of that. And, and that's one of the things I like about it. Cause that's, I, I enjoy that type of, I, I, sometimes you, it's not always a deal, but you can make it a deal, right? Like, so like owner financing or like I said, rent to owns. I mean, a lot of times if you're, even if you're a safe, you're a, say if you have a business and you want to move into a space, get a lease and get an option to purchase as well. Like get that kind of built in. And the best time to negotiate that is before you're in the building. Building's vacant. Get, even if you're maybe not quite ready, you know, say, okay, I, I do want to maybe eventually own my own building. I'm not quite ready, but I want an option at a set price. You know, within say two years, I can buy this building for X and, and then you have yourself some runway there. So that's a, that's a, that's a big thing. I've done that for a few clients who were moving into the space, but they weren't ready. It's like, okay, well, let's get, let's get an offer in place. Cause I mean, a lot of people say, oh yeah, maybe I'll, I'll sell you the building down the road. But I mean, now where's your where's your negotiating power? It's 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 in their hand because you're in the building. It's now it's your location and you're known for it. But now you're you're going to pay a much higher premium than if it's vacant right now. I'll lease your building if you agree to give me a, a purchase option as well. And that's it's it very often happens that way. And and you know people who own these buildings. I mean they're they're business people. They're invested well, so they're they're more open to creative solutions because they've always maybe done some in their past as well. And owner financing is is also a. Uh, a very common thing that, that comes into play. And I, I use it a lot as, as far as buying buildings and sometimes to get better terms, sometimes just because maybe something's unbankable. A lot of times a building is not bankable right now, but maybe I can do a couple things and now it's bankable and, and then I can buy it out that way as well. Yep. Yeah. And I don't 100% is if you potentially can lock your price in today. And if we're still in a, an inflationary time frame, um, you potentially in a couple of years from now could have a significant equity position on that property when it comes time for you to buy it. Or if you don't, yeah. then, you know, you don't have to exercise. You can renegotiate again at that time. Right. Exactly. So yeah. lots of, really I mean, I, I can, I have, yeah. Oh, go ahead, please. I've, I've put, I've put uh, people in the properties and yeah, they have a $10 option. It's a regular contract. Just instead of a, a you know six week condition period, it's a two year condition period. Due diligence condition, and then if any time during those two years they can 
they can buy it. I mean, maybe there's a clause in there that the seller might want saying, if I get another offer, you got to act on it or, or match it or whatever you negotiate. But I mean, the, the time to negotiate that is before you're in the building for yep. sure. Well, and that's where, you know, talking specifically about this one client again is he now, and I, I can't remember it's either two or three years. I think let's go with two. Um, I said, you now have two year runway to potentially go out and attract investors over the next two years to potentially have some investors buy into it when it comes time to cash this out. Right. And you could potentially show to those an investor pool of what you can get for and what maybe what the value is going to be worth in the future and stuff like that. So you now have time to, to go out there and you now can go attract an investment pool to come into it as well. Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's a lot of what I do is I'll, I'll typically buy the building first and then get investors later because I want to be able to act quickly on stuff. So I don't want to have to wait on, you know, buying a building only if I get my investor. I'll, I'll go buy the building confident. I know it's a good deal. And then maybe backfill it with an investor later once I got under contract and, or even, even after I close sometimes and, and, and do it that way to, to be able to, you know, act quickly when, when an opportunity arises. Cause I mean, it's, especially me. I mean, I, I like to get a deal. So I, 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 I won't buy just anything. So I'll, I want to make sure if, if it's a deal, I want to grab it. Well, is is Blake? Is there a little Scottish in there or something there, Tim or something? <laughs> Actually, a little bit half Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are they? Isn't there a joke about? Sorry, this might be really. You know, we we have to be careful when we start telling jokes. I don't want to do this stuff anymore, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't we can't tell jokes anymore. Comedy and humor mm. is now gone, right? It's now been yeah, canceled. Comedy and humor be, has been canceled. Shame for that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, so Tim, you're 100 percent bringing the fire here today, my brother. So, so you're. you're you're uh, 100% a natural at this and you know when the fire comes bombs get dropped and you're just <laughs> one bomb after another so so that's awesome i just wanted to thank you for your time here and um would you like to come on the the show again and maybe in in a in a few months if there's more people that are interested in having a deeper dive would you be interested in coming back again oh yeah absolutely i uh, i i'm a real estate geek so i love talking real estate so i'm definitely happy to to talk real estate anytime so if somebody was interested in get a hold of you, where would uh, where would they find you on the social airwaves or email address or what would uh, what would be the best place for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean if you just Google search my my name Tim Blake Realtor, it'll come up with a bunch. But uh, TimBlakeRealEstate.ca is my website, and uh, all my contacts are there, and I'm not too tough to find. Nice, nice. Well, by all means, if you're interested in the Grand Prairie market, which I you know. Alberta is open for business again and against contrary beliefs by a lot of people. I, I honestly think that the next 10 years of economic growth and activity in this country of Canada is going to be coming from Alberta again. So that's, that's what my yeah. prediction is. And I'm going to, I'm sticking to it. If you will. Yeah, so. no, I, I, there's, there's a lot of upside. I think we got a lot of upside coming. We haven't, we haven't got the, uh, the appreciation and inflation up here yet, but it's, I think it's coming. So I think there's some, some, some definitely some positive time for, well, they in general, but, uh, but for real estate end of it too. Well, but we'll be open and completely honest, which we are, is the last, you know, to be brutally honest since probably 2018, 2008, um, it's been extremely tough. There was a, a run up and then there was probably another dip after 2014, give or take, but it's been, it's been a rough ride. And I oh, yeah, honestly yeah. We, think we've had it. we've had our challenges for sure. I honestly think the the saddle is back on the horse again, and it's time to time to ride again. Yeah, ride or die, my brother. Ride or die. <laughs> right. So, um, just so, yeah, just gotta, we gotta learn how to do the dips. <laughs> that's right. 
coming. Yeah, it, it always it's, comes. You've got to plan for them and, and, and act accordingly. It's often not how you handle the wins. It's how you can manage the losses that are more important than yeah. any of that. And the lessons you can take from those hard, challenging times that will um, set you up for a bigger, a bigger win as you go forward. Okay. Um, yeah, here's a question I like to leave off with a lot of people. And, um, and, and here's what the way it kind of is framed the following is say somebody is sitting here and they're, they're listening to this podcast or they're watching it on YouTube and they're maybe feeling a little bit stuck, right? They're just not sure what to do. What are some parting, inspiring, encouraging words that Tim Blake can offer to that person that just feeling a little stuck to help them move forward? Yeah. I think part of it is uh, just just you're not going to know everything. You can't be an expert at the at the start. You got to just you know learn learn enough so you're at least you know competent, and then you got to shoot the puck. Like a lot of people will keep on looking at things and analyzing things. And again, I, I know a lot of people who I've known for years who always say, "Oh yeah, I want to buy some some real estate," but they just you know they'll they'll learn and 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 look at it and underwrite it, but you never shoot the puck. I mean, you, you got to shoot the puck. You're gonna make some mistakes, but uh, you got to progress and you'll get better and better as you go. Are you just buttering my bread by taking one of my signature sayings there, my brother? Oh, is that one you're saying? I don't. <laughs> I, I, I have listened to a lot of your stuff. I've I've stole a lot of stuff from you over the years, so. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't realize that. <laughs> well, it, it's one of my core sayings from a way long time ago. Maybe I'll share that in another episode is I 100% agree that you just need to shoot the puck. Um, you know, oh, sorry okay. for the hockey uh, reference, but we're Canadians and right. And I imagine everybody in Canada understands the shoot the puck reference. Right. So. I'm sure I probably heard that from you years and years ago at a presentation. I, I use it a lot. So nice, nice. Well, it's I guess my 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 work here is done today. Then <laughs> <laughs> now, Tim, I just wanted to just acknowledge you. I wanted to acknowledge you for for starting at a wonderful early age, starting um, with re- the realization of the entrepreneurial journey, and also starting from a standpoint of um, of niching yourself into an expertise in one market and being an expert and being one of the best in that area of your specific niche. And also understanding that you are a real estate investor first, and then you help clients uh, around the process as well for there. So I just wanted to acknowledge you for that. You're, you're doing a hell of a job, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I appreciate the show and all the stuff I've learned from you over the years too. So I'm happy to, to give back anything. You've like, got to repeat what you've already said. Well, you know what, by all means, I can't even remember the, all the things I've said, but please continue, <laughs> continue sharing. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we leave it there? And guys, we're about that hour and a half mark. Um, this has been a, a wonderful conversation with Tim Blake. If you're interested in commercial investing, hit him up. Um, Tim Blake, is it, it's timblakerealestate.ca. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and take it from there. And if you are interested in getting some more content on commercial, um, leave me a review, send me some information and, and I'll uh, tap Tim on the shoulder and we'll, uh, we'll maybe brainstorm some other, uh, other ideas of taking this conversation a couple more steps forward. Okay. Tim, thank you very much. You have yourself a wonderful day guys. Bye for now. So what did you think? Change your mind a little bit about commercial investing? Maybe that whole thing we talked about, about the downside of commercial, about having 
um, a, a building and a property go vacant for upwards of a year. Maybe that scared you off. Maybe the price tag uh, scared you off a little bit. Maybe the loan to value ratios maybe just are, are not there for you. Or maybe this is your pivot. Maybe this is your opportunity to transition from maybe a single family house into maybe a, uh, a commercial property. Maybe this is your opportunity. Maybe this is the niche that you're looking into. By all means, that's one of the things I'm looking for in this podcast is to introduce you to amazing people, to share amazing stories, to really have a deep and meaningful conversation to help you move forward with velocity. That's at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about is to help you do what's right for you, and more importantly, help you make the right decision for yourself to help you move forward against your goals and dreams. And just because markets shift, and just because conditions change, they always do. There's cycles in everything in life. Real estate markets are no different. Just understand that the cycles are there. Understand people who have been through those cycles before you, they have blazed the trail, they have cut the weeds down, and they have hacked their way through and macheted their way through the jungle to provide guidance and support for you. That's one of the things that I'm trying to do within this podcast is to provide guidance wisdom, provide that leadership to help you move forward with your dreams. Just because markets shift doesn't mean your dreams have shifted. Just because markets change and pricing changes and interest rate changes doesn't mean your goals for financial freedom have changed. As a matter of fact, during financial turbulence and turbulent times, you need to get even tighter on your goals. You need to get tighter on your action. And you need to get even more relentless in the work and effort that you put forward. And you need to surround yourself with the right people to help you move forward with velocity and help you with your decisions moving forward. If you're interested in having a conversation about something for you, if even if you're just a little fearful or just not sure what the markets are doing, in the links, in the show notes below, there will be a resource if you're interested in booking a consultation. These consultations, that's a the time of this recording, these consultations are still no charge. Uh, it's, it's 45 minutes of my time. And at this time, I'm still not putting a, a, a price tag on it. And to be honest, my time is worth a lot of money. And I still want to keep doing these consultations as long as you keep bringing the goods and you prepare. So what you will do is in the link, in the show notes, you will see a link to go in there. You will go to a page. You'll read some information. There'll be a video on it. You may have to fill in a little bit of information about yourself. You'll have to answer a few questions so I can prepare for our conversation. And more importantly, I want you to be really clear on what you're looking for from the conversation. If you come prepared I'll come prepared, and in 45 minutes, we can accomplish a lot. So if you're interested in having that conversation, in the show notes below, there will be a link to book that consultation, and we'll take it from there. Okay, gang, let's leave it there for now. In every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. 
Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.